0: Hi, I'm Clifford Machingaifa, and welcome to the African Tech Roundup. In this episode, we take a look at Agritech startup Binkabi through the eyes of their CEO, Kwan Lei, and learn why he believes that blockchain is set to revolutionize commodity trading in emerging markets. We also get to hear a little bit about Andile's second favorite city in the world. We're excited to be a part of Afrobytes again in 2020, happening in Paris on the 9th of June at Station F. We're really hoping to meet you there as we have the world's most diverse innovation ecosystem all under one roof. So
1: my name is Le and I'm the founder and CEO of Binkabi, which is a platform for issuing, trading, and financing commodities on the blockchain. We focus on Africa, and agriculture supply
0: chain. Welcome to the African Tech Roundup, Gwanle. Thank you. Nice to be here. Absolutely. Now, I had the pleasure of being in your country uh, several months ago. Ho Chi Minh City currently stands as my second favorite Asian city okay so the favorite one must be Hanoi where I'm from no it's not the most, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I just I love the I love the frantic energy of Ho Chi Minh City and my favorite city okay. in Asia is actually Kuala Lumpur but um, okay cool so we, we have some way to go You have some okay, way to go fine. but I mean by way of sort of introducing yourself you've already told us you're from Hanoi I'm sorry that uh, Hanoi comes in at maybe Four or five
1: uh, <laughs> okay. on my list. Okay, we're among the top you five. You are That's in the top fine. five. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Yeah,
0: but give our listeners a sense of where you're coming from with this. I mean, we're going to talk about your professional credentials. A squiz at your bio gives me a sense of where the DNA for the idea that you, you're currently backing might have come from. But we'll talk about that in a sure. minute. Talk to me about... Khoan from Hanoi.
1: Sure, okay. So you've been to, I uh, you've been to Vietnam. Hopefully you have a bit of a chance to travel up and down the country. Uh, you might think that Ho Chi Minh City is the coolest place in Vietnam. However, the majority of the population is actually live in the countryside. And Vietnam has uh, such a long, uh, as a country is very long from Hanoi to Ho Chi Minh City. It's about 2,000 kilometers apart. Yeah. And there are many, many provinces and cities along the coastline, uh, and a lot of the population is actually engaged in uh, agriculture. So in Vietnam, you can see that there's an abundance of agriculture produce. You can eat rice. You can eat many um, type of good food: fish, uh, chicken, vegetable. However, it has not always been the case. Vietnam only becomes one of the largest exporters of agricultural commodities in the last ten to twenty years. Uh, before that, Vietnam is actually a major importer of, you know, stable food like rice and proteins. So back in the days when I was growing up in Vietnam, I still remember my father used to have to skip one or two days from work every month in order to queue up to buy food from the ration that the state gave us. And back in the days, it was a luxury for us to be able to eat rice just by itself and with a white color, because we often didn't have enough. And we often have to eat rice in combination with other kind of um, starchy uh, root crops, like cassava or potatoes or uh, sweet potatoes and so on. Very, very low quality. Vietnam is, a, uh, is an example of a transformation uh, from a uh, net food importer to the net food exporter. So today, Vietnam as a sector, as a country, export about $30 billion worth of food. Whereas if you look at the case of uh, Africa, as a whole, Vietnam, Africa imports about $40 billion. So how can actually a country move uh, from a net importer to net exporter So the way we see it is Vietnam uh, has gone through a transformation which uh, hopefully is happening in Africa right now. So Africa is what Vietnam was 25 years
0: ago. And it's crazy when you just compare the size of our entire continent and its sort of collective output in agriculture relative to really the, the minuscule size by comparison of Vietnam. And I'm going to want us to talk about you know some of your learnings um around this but explain how a bean counter goes from that to to founding a a blockchain tech company because <laughs> you're a, you're a chartered accountant yeah.
1: and so, so yeah, yeah, and, yeah i I'm mean probably it, too, it seems it too, seems improbable too, yeah <laughs> yes i'm probably too uh, creative for bean counter so um i probably wouldn't have been doing very well if i would still continue to be an accountant which i started. Uh, to be back in 1990s. So I started as an auditor working for a big company called BWC, which has many uh, people and many offices around the world. Uh, because back in those days, uh, when Vietnam just opened up and we are just uh, graduated from universities, uh, actually working for a foreign company, um, the stature of BWC is a cool thing to do. So we didn't have a lot of more, let's say, sexy opportunities, that's why we, um, myself included, um, applied to work uh, uh, um, for PwC as an auditor. And then um, I actually spent not so much time in auditing but actually focusing on advisory and strategy. So from auditing I moved to uh, merger acquisition uh, advisory and then ultimately to strategy which is. Uh, mainly working with the financial sectors. So I used to work with banks uh, all over the world but focused more on emerging markets, uh, including those in in Africa. So the journey there took about uh, 16 years when I started in the mid-1990s to about 2011. And from 2011, I started a company that focuses on bringing technology in agriculture, from Vietnam but also from other places, to uh, actually make some changes in food production in Africa. So, for the last seven years, we have been involved in over thirty projects, uh, working on hundred thousand hectares of land, helping Africa to grow some of the most sought-after stable food, like uh, food like rice, cassava, fish, tomatoes. These are also the commodities that Africa has been importing in large quantities. So the journey started in finance, and um, before I left PwC, I actually met with my co-founders. We were working on the impact of the financial crisis back in 2008. Uh, PwC actually had a unit that uh, looked look at. The potential impacts to the financial sectors in the wake of the financial crisis, and two of my co-founders, now Andrew Nevin and Man Tang, and myself used to work uh, together. And what we saw there is a crisis of sorts, where basically what happening in the financial sectors has a uh, spill over to the main uh, uh, main economy. So people. Uh, suddenly found that it's very difficult for them to obtain loan from the bank or actually, you know, even find jobs. So what's happening in the financialization of the world has, uh, you know, what they call Wall Street has spill, spillover over impact on the main street. Um, however, what we then look at the agriculture sector To my mind, it's a different kind of crisis. The crisis where farmers who are responsible for producing and feeding the world is actually not well treated, especially those smallholder farmers. For countries like Vietnam where it transformed itself from a net food importer to a food uh, exporter, uh, farmers are still relatively poor compared to other segments in societies. So how we can actually use technology to uh, be able to not only help uh, Africa to grow more food, but actually help farmers who are responsible for growing food have better lives. That is what we're trying to do, to do with Binh Kali.
0: And give us a sense of you know, what the, the landscape is within the agricultural sector in Vietnam, for instance. Is it controlled by a mighty few? Uh, what's the role of the small-scale farmer in that ecosystem?
1: Right. So um, in this sense, Africa and Vietnam has a lot of similarities, uh, not just because of the climate. You know, one of the way, the the reason why we started uh, Grow More X, the company before Bingabi, was because of the similar natural conditions that Vietnam shares with Africa or some parts of Africa. And then you ask the question, why would, you know, some place that have similar agro ecological conditions being a net exporter and the other place being the net importer with the similar conditions. The structure of the agriculture sector is also similar. Um, there's a lot of smallholder farmers in Vietnam, typically it's a country where it's um, 100 million people uh, living in, um, you know, 300,000 square kilometers. So. Uh, Roughly uh, a third of South Africa. So where you're based in South Africa, Vietnam is about um, a third. But Vietnam has double the population. So land in um, Vietnam is extremely scarce. Um, So for the 70% of the population who are engaged in agriculture in Vietnam, uh, most of them are smallholder farmers. Now, the actual farming is done by smallholder farmers. Uh, The processing is, however... Um, done by larger companies. Um, a lot of them actually just uh, private companies, uh, but some of them are also state-owned companies, which is, uh, has very large size. The trading of these commodities are done between both um, uh, larger private sector companies, but also state-owned companies as well. For example, the exporter of rice uh, in Vietnam is mostly done through Vina Food 1, Vina Food 2, which is uh, which are state-owned, and they control most of the export of rice, especially when it comes to government-to-government uh, transactions. So it's a, it's a very, uh, let's say, quite vibrant sector where you have lots and lots, millions and millions of smallholder farmers, you have lots and lots of processing companies but when it comes to actual trading, especially when trading uh, over uh, cross-border
0: trading is done uh, through a, a limited number of larger companies, so your decades of experience in, in consulting, in deal making, in strategy at a consulting level might play in here. But what's your framework for looking for places on the continent where you can transfer the sort of insight you've you've gathered in a place like Vietnam? Like, where where do you start? A continent is so vast, there are at least a dozen or more countries that sort of mirror the the similar fundamentals that Vietnam might represent in terms of climate perhaps, in terms of perhaps the, the nature of the existing infrastructure within agriculture. What's your approach to let's start over there in Africa?
1: My journey in agriculture in Africa started seven years ago. And it started on the basis where Africa as a continent import a lot of food, and where you know most of the importation is actually taking place in uh, West Africa, uh, especially in Nigeria. So we decided to focus on West Africa, on Nigeria, and on some of the commodities like rice, cassava, and so on, where we can readily bring the proven know-how from Vietnam. Combine that with the latest agriculture technologies like drones, like satellite, to be able to uh, make uh, impact uh, quickly. We were totally uh, market-driven. This is um, what the population actually wants. They want to, to be able to be self-sufficient in some of the stable foods. And that was how we got involved in actually the farming of rice and other type of commodities in West Africa. Now, moving on to to Binkabi, where this uh, technology... Uh, using blockchain to transform the agricultural value chain and the trading and financing of agricultural commodities. So where we start is where we uh, see that we can immediately have impact. So that would be West Africa, especially Nigeria. And then uh, we look elsewhere on the continent where we can actually make significant impact. Then we have to look at larger markets like uh, South Africa. So Nigeria and South Africa actually our two
0: main markets right now in Africa when it comes to uh, Bengabi. So your strategy involves partnering or at least servicing the likes of EcoBank, Unity Bank. You know, there's quite an impressive list of incumbents that you provide services to. Is there not a tension between the sort of democratization potential of the technologies you'd like to introduce and the sort of existing interests controlled by incumbents that have traditionally not been very good at democratization and sharing and and really just delivering on inclusiveness?
1: Right now, we're actually not providing service to them. So we are a platform developer, but also operator. So we are like uh, Alibaba or Amazon or Uber. Um, So we develop the technology, but we also operate the platform. So we're actually not selling any kind of technology or software to um, these companies that you just mentioned. Um, So, um, you know, that's why um, we we need to have a, a much longer view in terms of how we cultivate these partnerships. And the partnerships are based on the principle of, you know, being Complementary when it comes to bringing value to the uh, supply chain. So, as an example, the partnerships announced in Nigeria uh, between AFEX, Vinkabi, uh, and the bank called Sterling Bank is where we each bring something to the table. So, uh, we basically enable what we call Uber for grain, which is trading of commodities, uh, of grains uh, within Nigeria. So what we want is in this system where users of our platform in order for the platform to be uh, secure with the trading we would like to get the sellers to be able to deposit their commodities at one of the warehouses provided by AFEX now AFEX also provide because they have got the license to the ability to create warehouse receipt out of these commodities and then on the buyer side what we ask them to do is they need to deposit money with uh, sterling bank and by connecting with both Apex uh, and sterling we are able to get the transactions to be issued and traded on the blockchain so blockchain acts and uh, our technology acts as a connectivity layer between different uh, actors in the supply chains to be able to uh, enable secure trading uh, so ultimately the seller gets his money and the buyer get his commodities, that's the ultimate outcome. Uh, and this comes from, because of the huge disconnect in the uh, supply chain of agricultural commodities, but also generally in commodities. And because of this disconnect, the assets in the supply chain, like you have situation where warehouses are laying empty whilst uh, the crops are rotting in the fields or in the market bananas yes, are being nowhere or bananas exactly. are being
0: dumped into the ocean because exactly. they don't have a market
1: yeah they don't have the market or simply they don't have somewhere to store
0: yeah right so
1: a lot of uh, if, if you are in Nigeria you go to these uh, market places and you see um, you know baskets of uh, orange tomatoes being left um, rotten in the market because if the farmers cannot sell them during the day, uh, at the end of the day, they actually just leave them there because it's much more expensive for them to carry it back to their house, uh, their homes, uh, because of the lack of uh, storage facilities. So this is a very, quite a irony in Africa where you have harvest, you know, post-harvest loss uh, can be as high as 50%, uh, but whilst a lot of the storage facilities actually laying idle, um, there are many, many banks um, operating on the Kent continents, but there's also a lot of unbanked people. So how do you actually connect these otherwise uh, fragmented uh, actors in the supply chain in a way that will create value for everyone? So that is why people can get over the issue of being protective or being you know, secretive about what they do, because ultimately uh, it's also creating values for themselves for their shareholders.
0: What, what do you say to cynics, perhaps even conspiracy theorists who say, this is all engineered complexity. This is all designed to be this way. And one might imagine that a, an organization like you might experience a pushback in attempts to sort of bring efficiencies where there were none.
1: Yeah, I think we have to separate between the reason why um, things are the way they are yeah. uh, in Africa and the reality. Uh, we are mostly concerned with the reality. Gotcha. We are not so much concerned with why Africa is the way it is. I think there's a lot of you know, people and organisations are concerned with that. The reality today that we see is that farmers who are responsible to feed the, the countries, feed the nations, are not able to be able to feed themselves or send their kids to schools or be able to wait until better prices to sell such that they can actually gain more from their production. So what we are creating is optionalities for them. So they can either sell to a larger market and hopefully get better price, or they can actually wait until better price to to sell. And in the meantime, are able to access financing based on collateral, which is their commodities, so that they can still send their kids to school when waiting for better price to sell. So I think um, so far the pushback has been fairly minimal. Um, we did actually talk to some of the large organization uh, in your country in South Africa, and they said, okay, now we are working with you on this. So are we trying to you know, accidentally put ourselves in the foot? I mean, it may be the case. Um, I'll bet you Nestle what- was
0: one of the people you spoke to.
1: No, <laughs> you don't have. To... Actually, they, they are not. Oh, okay, not. okay. I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah. I am genuinely but, surprised. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they are not. But um, I think these are these are questions that people ask. Um, like, okay, i have been doing pretty well. So why do I need to change? And uh, if I'm supporting you, am I actually you know making myself worse off? You yeah, know? am I disrupting my, the own, key thing... my
0: own business model? <laughs>
1: Exactly. But here, if you looking at, uh, let's say, in your kind of media sector, what happened to newspapers and the Internet, you know, obviously when the Internet comes, you know, the fact that you and I are able to to, um, to be able to talk like this over the Internet, um, you know, takes 13 hours of a flight to South Africa from London, but we are able to instantly connect and talk um, on a broad range of topics like this. It's because of the power of the internet. Yeah. Now blockchain is considered to be not the internet of uh, information that what we've seen so far, but the internet of value or in the internet of money. Yeah. So here we are trying to use blockchain to transfer value around um, whether that is the commodity uh, themselves or the payment for them. Uh, blockchain, uh, we found, uh, is, is a way to, uh, it's a really suitable technology for that. And the other thing is uh, also, it's also an opportunity for places like Africa where there's lack of financial infrastructure to be able to um, bypass or even leapfrog um, the first world, so to speak, uh, when it comes to financial infrastructure infrastructure by actually adopting this this new technology
0: so let's talk about what i perceive as the end game and you you might correct me if i'm wrong the the idea that on top of everything you've discussed a sort of tokenization regimen that allows anybody sitting across you know the world in in vietnam perhaps or in in the global north somewhere to basically participate in an active agricultural market because you've created digital assets uh, that enables that is that part of the plan Exactly right. So we would like to, like the word that you used before,
1: democratize access to um, agricultural commodities market. So let's say uh, right now, you know, farmers are struggling to sell uh, when it comes to actually exporting. Uh, only a few big companies are responsible for exporting. So with creation of um, assets that representing these commodities, we are... Um, and, and they are able to be traded 24-7, um, they are be, be traded in any kind of quantity, um, however small it is. Uh, we basically bring down the barrier to entries, so that uh, investors around the world are able to gain uh, exposure to, um, to commodities, to, you know, uh, to help their, um, balance their portfolios but also at the same time helping poorer farmers in in these countries. So that is the power of the the internet and the uh, blockchain technology when it's combined. So allowing um, people everywhere, including in the country and uh, elsewhere in the world, to be able to access that market.
0: Do you see this extending to the democratization of investments themselves? Because as things stand, um, only you know, a privileged few can actually trade in commodities. And I'm speaking now in terms of the secondary markets, right? Sure, that's right. So let's say in South Africa, you
1: have um, Mm -hmm. SAFEX, which is part of um, Johannesburg stock exchange. Now, to be able to trade on SAFEX, you have to uh, trade to brokers. Yeah. In order to be a broker or, you know, having a a seat on on, uh, SAFEX, you need to... Have certain kind of capital requirements, uh, or actually have paid in the past for a seat. Um, it's the same everywhere. If you want to be a member of CME in the U.S. or the Ethiopia Commodity Exchange in uh, Ethiopia, or you know the Dalian Exchange in uh, in China, you basically have to buy a seat. So. Therefore, it's instantly exclude a lot of the segments of the society who are not able to uh, Get access to these markets. So when you actually trade You're actually not trading directly on the market, but they're trading through to brokers. Yeah Um, So what we are enabling is ultimately we would like to be uh, People to be able to trade uh, anywhere in the world with whatever small quantity they want so you know you can get exposure to commodities market with fifty dollars, hundred dollars. Um, um, this is the power of the technology. I mean in our system we we uh, denominate um, one token of uh, rice to be one tonne uh, and then we have three decimal place so each decimal place rep- representing one kilogram of rice. So in theory people, people can can get exposure to one kilogram of rice. Not that everyone would do that, but that is the power of the technology. You can actually bring down the
0: barriers to entry. So I'm going to ask you to, to explain in practical terms how someone listening to us today from anywhere in the world can get involved right now. But before we do that, a lot of the ideals that have so far characterized efforts within the space of distributed ledger technologies have been somewhat counterculture to the mainstream. How did you and your team figure out how best to structure this business in the knowledge that you would need to engage without compromising what clearly sounds like the values you have to make a a societal impact? The place to start there would be, okay, what
1: kind of problems that you are trying to solve? What kind of problems that we are able to solve within um, the capabilities of the technology, of our experience, of our resources. And as I said before, um, the blockchain technologies uh, um, lend itself to decentralization, but is um, is places like Africa uh, is ready for decentralization. Let's say ultimately you need to be commercially sustainable, you'll be able to in order to make impact, you need to be around in 5, 10 years. How can you actually find a business model that ultimately deliver values to um, to, to, to your target uh, customers, which is, in this case, the farmers, the small, um, small, medium companies, the partners that you work with. How you can actually bring solutions to the market to create impact and create quickly. So, so that's why we are not so much idealistic in terms of um, what is the potential of this technology, you know, in terms of being anarchist, being decentralization, uh, but actually what the problems that it can actually solve uh, given our experience and our understanding and our network in in Africa, but also in other emerging markets. So we basically um, look for a partnership type of um, arrangements where we, we bring the technology, we operate the platform, but we will be working with um, partners like commodity exchanges and banks to be able to bring an end-to-end solution to the market. So we are not trying to, um, you know, eating, uh, trying to eat in the existing cake, we're trying to create a new cake or we're trying to make the existing cake bigger. And therefore, share a part of it by creating the, the that, that that extra value
0: that everyone can benefit from. And so, how much so? That, and how much pressure are yeah. you under in the short term to sort of monetize on the way to that future, or, exactly. or even achieve profitability? Well, what are things looking like right now?
1: So we are just uh, just started in Nigeria. Um, we um, so Nigeria we started uh, what we call uh, Uber for Grain, which is basically a marketplace. Uh, to connect buyers and sellers but also service providers like you know warehouse um, storage um, you know banks Uh, we also to our partners are able to offer uh, lending on the back of uh, commodities warehouse receipts so one of the banks um, the sterling bank has committed to lend at least 30 million dollars to our platform So we are exploring uh, other markets uh, like South Africa, um, like Vietnam, Uh, we already started in Vietnam and uh, even Eastern European markets like Ukraine, where, you know, it's also emerging markets. It's also have a very big agriculture um, sector, but also a lot of issues. So uh, because of the way that we chose in terms of our business model, not being a vendor of technology or uh, Uh, mm, of software, meaning that we are, you know, not cash flow positive right now. So actually we are in a very deep um, um, investment phase right now. We have very, very little revenue, uh, but we have a lot of costs. So there's a lot of pressure in terms of how you can actually get um, to profitability quickly to be able to sustain ourselves. But then we also need to balance that against... The the need to grow because, um, like any technology companies, if you are making, let's say, profit um, too soon, you're probably not growing uh, fast enough. So, to
0: balance that is really difficult. And so, what's home base for Binkabi? Does that matter in the context of what I imagine might be very high touch sort of relationship building that you need to do? How important is where you call home base? Where people perceive you're from. I don't know if you've encountered th- those sort of dynamics as you've done business on the continent, perhaps even in Vietnam. Does it matter to people or the people you're looking to partner with? Um, actually, not that, not that important. I mean,
1: people when they heard that, okay, we actually located um, uh, the majority of our management team in space in London. Um, we got our co-founders and you know a couple of people in Lagos, Nigeria and then our development team is based in Vietnam, people say, hey, hey!" so that's quite interesting. But ultimately it's about the DNA uh, that we have in terms of solving uh, issue in the agriculture value chain in emerging markets. So that is our base, that is our home. Because of our kind of confluence of experience in terms of understanding how financial sector works, understanding how commodities work, but also have deep um, firsthand experience of growing up, but also working in these emerging markets. That is our home. We don't consider ge- geographical to be uh, a limit, uh,
0: to be uh, to be as important. Ultimately, it's about solving what problems in 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 what markets. So, have you guys raised? Have you raised a pre-seed, a seed? Where are you at in terms of that? And um, yeah, just give me a sense of you know. What sort of pressure you're under to, to convert? <laughs> uh,
1: yes, So so far we, um, we are just about to close a seed, uh, a seed round um, this month uh, where we, uh, we, we're raising up to two million dollars um, to uh, basically help us to launch in a couple of markets and to expand in the markets that we are in. And that process is still ongoing. So of course we are under pressure. Uh, But at the same time, it's very um, exciting. Uh, And because of our setup, because of our, I guess when it comes to geographical location, I think because of the way we set up with our team based in different locations, but also have ability to tap in to um, sort of the high tech industry in uh, Vietnam and in, 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 in Asia, where the cost is, um, you know, a lot um, lower compared to, let's say, Europe or, or the U.S. That give it, give us an advantage in terms of cost. So we can be very, very agile, very nimble and flexible when it comes to, um, you know, actual bringing our solutions to the market. So we don't have very, very high fixed costs um,
0: and our costs are in inter- almost entirely based on how fast we can grow. I'm interested in knowing like some of the most common misconceptions or perhaps oversimplifications you encounter whenever you have to pitch the business opportunity that is the African continent, the the markets you've mentioned, maybe the most damaging or dangerous misconceptions or oversimplifications made about the, the financial opportunity you're trying to address.
1: Yeah, you know, we do a lot of pitching, some of them to um, to kind of VC investors. Um, so basically to to kind of get an idea or get get to grip with, with the size of the opportunities um, that we are trying to to address or to work in, you basically need to understand three things. One is commodities. So you you, you know, you need to be able to understand you know, how agricultural commodities work and what are the challenges that the supply chain in those uh, markets are facing at the moment. Uh, because it's not the same way as you know other commodities or even other kind of assets. So the first thing is commodities. The second thing you have to understand is, is finance. So how finance actually works, especially in, uh, in the markets that are not very well developed. And the third thing you have to understand is, you know, the blockchain technology itself, which is uh, a still a nascent technology, you know, it's still very, very early days. Uh, the performance, the scalability is not that high. There's still a lot of uh, mixing up between uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies. So you know, you need to people to at least understand two of those three things. And. It has been a challenge to to find those 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 type of people. So that I think that is a they often maybe not misconceptions but actually challenges to work in 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 the market or the the product or the solutions that we are providing, which is basically helping farmers and SMEs and actors in agriculture value chains in emerging markets to be able to be more efficient and creating more value by getting better ac- access to market, be- better access to financing. So those are the, I would say the challenges when it comes to actually pitching the opportunities to other people. Uh, but the uh, the market is absolutely huge because when you talk about even agriculture trading uh, between cu- country, it's um, over uh, about one point, trillion in terms of um, international trading. But when it comes to the actual domestic trading, it will be many times over that. So here we're talking about trillions and trillion dollars uh, in terms of market opportunities. Uh, But in order to tackle that, um, you need to understand
0: those three main uh, elements. What's the most challenging question you fielded from a venture capitalist about your business Perhaps a question that got you thinking about your business in a in a different way. And I want a good question, not one of the dumb ones, you know, like a really good question that got you thinking and maybe even changed how you look at your own business. To be fair, so far we haven't uh,
1: seen a lot of those. Say because of the challenges I just told you um, in terms of a very, very good questions. Um, the, I'm, sm- the, I'm, the smil- I'm qu-
0: smiling because I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's <laughs> shot fired. I'm sure the, the investors the- in London go, oh, I know. The
1: sort of questions that we get from, let's say, a VC, um, you know, to say, let's say, outside uh, type of investors, um, actually like standard questions like, oh, who are your competitors? Why would people using your your services. Oh, are you sort of disrupting uh, incumbent players? So more kind of theoretical textbook quite kind of question. Yeah. Uh, because, because obviously, you know, there's a process that people have to go through when they uh, decide to, to make investments. Uh, most of our um, investors are actually uh, strategic investors and they are actually partners with us uh, in some, some shape or forms. Uh, and we're actually not uh, having that many kind of typical uh, VC. So, you know, some VC are interested in um, for example marketplaces. Uh, they invest in a lot of marketplaces so that they found the solution that we bring kind of fit into that um, criteria that they are looking for but then they, they would be struggling to understand possible commodities or, you know, emerging markets. Yeah. So, you know, we, we haven't found a lot of Let's say a very a good question yeah. uh, coming from, uh, let's say, the
0: standard VCs. So most of our investors actually strategic uh, partners that we have. And then in Vietnam, are you getting any any interest, any sort of investment interest, partnership interest from from Asia? We haven't quite explored that route. Yeah. Um, Why wouldn't we, you? We, Well,
1: okay, so, and this is perhaps true elsewhere as well. I mean, if we, again, it's coming back to, okay, Vietnam might understand agriculture commodities. Um, Vietnam might understand technology uh, because some of them, uh, you know, Vietnam is fast becoming a a very um, good sort of blockchain uh, development um, location but Vietnam might not understand Africa yeah. right? Vietnam thinks, thinks that Africa is very remote very risky uh, it's war torn, it's farming uh, these are the kind of misconceptions that a lot of people outside of Africa actually have um, and I would say the same for other countries in Asia like um, China or other countries in Southeast Asia that is how you know quite a large section of Uh, society or economy still
0: think uh, Africa is a very, very remote and risky and and, you know, poor place. To be fair, fair, um, when my wife and I told some of our friends and family that we were visiting Vietnam, a lot of people were like, why? (laughs) You know? The, exactly. Yeah. So they,
1: they think Vietnam is still in in, in during the war. Like we, right? they so, they
0: thought we might be going to go you know feed some people and 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 build some some schools or something. We were like, exactly. no no, we're on holiday. We're definitely on holiday. <laughs> so so that's
1: why we have not specifically targeted uh, uh, in Vietnam. So When I think when we do get traction uh, from the um, industry collaboration that we are debuting then I think um, that's the right place to 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 target. Um, also, in other places in Asia, our our strength is really to connect Asia and Africa. And I think there are a lot of um, potentials
0: um, in 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 Asia so, when it comes to investment. So my final question to you then is: since you haven't been getting any good questions, what question do you wish you would receive more often? And Give us the answer to that question. Actually, that's a good question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank
0: you. Well thank you. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, um, so I'm just trying to craft the, the answers to that. Yeah. It's it's kind of having two layers. So you know, a lot of people will ask, okay, so you are gonna give blockchain technology to the poor farmers of Africa, right? how are you going to do that, right? Yeah. So that could be a a fairly standard sort of question, so fairly shallow kind of question. Yeah. The moment you mentioned that you are trying to um, improve, uh, I I, I try to avoid the word disrupt, but trying to create value out of the agriculture supply chain in Africa, then a lot of people will ask. so how do you actually get farmers onto uh, the platform? So that is a fairly, a fairly standard sort of question when we uh, mention that we are doing in things in this space. But I guess if, if, if the people who ask the question has a very deep understanding of the challenges that uh, Africa has, right? Um, uh, especially when it comes to agriculture productions, then um, the sort of answer that they'd be looking for which we wish they, they, they would be satisfied when we gave them, is that, yeah, actually, to be very, very practical, we don't think that uh, we necessarily go uh, directly to the farmers in the first place. We think uh, because of the fact that a lot of farmers uh, in Africa are smallholder farmers, even if we are able to bring them to the platform, they actually won't have much to sell and it's very difficult for them to actually bring their crops to accredited warehouse that, um, that our partners has. So we're actually targeting the people who aggregate the commodities from them. We are um, helping them to be able to um, bring those commodities to the warehouse, being able to get paid, being able to get financing from the banks so that they can actually buy from the farmers, being able to make more money so that they can pay more for farmers. So we're trying to help those small guys as well. But in the future, what we are planning to do, and we already started talking, is that we also recognize the the the, the transformation role of the mobile phone and mobile money, right? So we, we, we in our vision, we're planning to uh, work with mobile operators to actually enable the payment of the commodities using mobile money, but tokenize mobile money to our platform, so that when farmers actually delivered that one or two tons of rice to the aggregators, aggregator accepted the goods, then the payment will automatically get get you know paid directly to the wallet mobile wallet of the farmers, and that is how we can see how we can able to bring a lot of farmers to the platform, not directly by them actually having to press a certain button, but actually for them to be able to receive their payment very, very
0: conveniently. Wow. And that would help adoption. So I'll tell you this. Um, my my mom and dad are farmers, smallholder farmers uh, in Zimbabwe. And my asset test, whenever I speak to, to people in your space, is... Would would my would my parents be impacted by this? Would they use the service? Would it change their lives? Would it make it easier? Would it improve the very hard work? Uh, would it improve? And I'm speaking about something that just happened just this week. Would it improve their ability to bring in five tons of onion um, from rural Matibele land into uh, Zimbabwe's second city Bulawayo? Uh, would it, would it help with that? And I'm very happy to say the question you asked, and the and the question you answered at the end there gives me some confidence that you have applied your mind sufficiently to what would actually move the needle for people like them.
1: To move the people like them is not about teaching them how cool the uh, blockchain technology nope. is. No, because that's not going to work. Actually, that's not going to work for my exactly, seventy-year-old 70 parents. You know, giving them more money in their wallet. That's how. Yeah. Uh, if if people suddenly say, okay, I don't really care how the platform works or how this, you know, I have to push certain button on your apps. I mean, the the aggregators who are, let's say, a bit more tech savvy, who driving around in their trucks, can can know that, can 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 go through that. But if you know they receive a beep beep um, on their phone and they see, oh. You know, in my bank account, uh, in my
0: mobile wallet, I actually have more money than everyone would understand that signal. Absolutely. Well, listen, um, I certainly wish you well. Binkabi sounds like one to watch. I know you're under pressure. All startup founders are. I'm fairly encouraged by the buzz about your business that I've heard in the marketplace so far. And yeah, I can only hope that you guys um, survive this sort of um, nascent period and, and not end up becoming victims of the very change that you're trying to bring through. Uh, I suppose one just hopes that companies like you, thinkers like you, teams like yours make it through to, you know, become part of the the fabric of uh, what we, you know, 10 years from now think, oh my word, you guys were a startup at some point.
1: Well, th- thank you. And, and And in that sense, you know, As somebody who comes from Asia, from Vietnam, who, you know, as a country we live through wars, um, a lot of human conflicts, Uh, we also taught ourselves to be survivors. Yeah. And how to to find the war with a very little means. Yeah. Ultimately, yes, as I said, we are international um, uh, team as well. So myself come from Vietnam, but we also have, you know, um, one child policy co-founder from China. Uh, and uh, another co founder, Andrew, who is actually from Canada, but have lived in China for 10 years. So we are ultimately a multicultural team uh, who all sort of experience or live, um, you know, experience firsthand or actually have lived and grown up in, in emerging markets. So we can actually combine some of the good things that, you know, where, where we come from, but also, you know, good things that come from elsewhere. Uh, but ultimately, That's true. it's about That's true. Uh, the, 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 the deep understanding
0: about the, the, the conditions and the challenges in Africa. As good a place as any to put it down. Thank you so much for being on the show, Kwanle, of Binkabi. Thank you so much for being on the African Tech Roundup. Thank you. Thank you very much, Adil. Bye-bye.